0: Well, it's good to be back. It's good to be here this morning. And I didn't see anybody famous while I was gone. I did, well, I mean, I guess if any of the football players at the game go pro, I saw them. Um, But here in America, we have sometimes what's a celebrity culture. I wonder what the famous, most famous person you've ever seen in your life is. Uh, For me, it would probably be the one I can think of is Trayvon Diggs. He's a cornerback for Dallas now, probably the top defender, one of them this year. Uh, We like when we go on trips to visit all the universities around. So we drive through, we just see the stadium. It's kind of a neat thing. It's kind of our thing. And so when we went to Alabama one year, we parked and we saw him get out of his broken down minivan and walk to class and we're like, oh, that's got to be a football player because, you know, they, they're built, they're big. And so then we looked them up afterwards We realized, oh, that's who that is. That was Trayvon Diggs. And you never know, you know, when you run into famous people, they're just walking down the street sometimes. But there are other more famous people. You know, we think of movie stars. We think of uh, personalities. You know, sometimes they have their own shows that probably aren't worth watching. They have news that are about them. Uh, Total websites devoted to everything uh, that the rich and famous are doing, right? And if you see someone famous, usually you take a picture of them, or you take a picture with them, or you ask for an autograph, or there's someone around them who's kind of doing those things. Like even us, we we took a picture of the back of Trayvon Diggs with his backpack walking to school just because, hey, we're there. He's probably going to be famous one day. And so that's just how celebrity culture is, right? You're drawn, there's something about us that's kind of drawn to that fame. And it's not just positive all the time, a positive reaction to those celebrities, right? Celebrity culture comes with its critics as well. In fact, that may be more of what uh, we hear of in the news. You know, there's always someone who doesn't like the people that are famous too. They do something and it's not popular. Right, or what they stand for is not popular. Right, So there's kind of that two sides to it. There's people that are real fans, so to speak, and then there's people who are critics and opposed to these people who are famous and celebrities. That's just part of living in the limelight. Every part of your life is under scrutiny, whether good or bad. And when it comes to being famous, in our passage this morning, in Matthew Chapter starting in Matthew chapter 13 at the end of it and going on into chapter 14, the beginning of it, we read a phrase that Herod had heard about the fame of Jesus. And so Jesus, you remember, is at this time, he's going around, he's doing signs and miracles. He had been teaching, proclaiming the good news, and his fame was spreading. He was famous. The text says it. Herod had heard of the fame of Jesus. And with this fame came lots of different reactions to Jesus. And this morning we see really two reactions to Jesus one from his hometown in Nazareth, and the other from the king of the day, King Herod. And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. We'll start reading in verse 53. We'll read verses 53 through 58. And then we will think about the response of the people of Nazareth. And so Matthew 13, starting in verse 53, the word of the Lord says this. When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so Jesus is continuing to do the things he usually does, right? He's going to the town, he's teaching. It reminds us here that, you know, his main ministry was not just healing, was not just performing these mighty acts. The main thing Jesus was doing as he went around was teaching. He was proclaiming this good news of the kingdom of God has come. How can you be a part of the kingdom of God? It's a reminder to us that that, just as that was His main task, it's our main task as well—to do good, but to also, as we are going to proclaim that, and that's what Jesus was doing. And we see that this response of His hometown was not positive, right? They were offended. It says they weren't—they uh, weren't hanging on His every word. They weren't waiting to see what he would say and how it would change their life, they were offended by him. They uh, Familiarity bred contempt in their situation, you might say. And so they knew his family. They had seen him since he was a boy. They'd seen him grow up. He was just a carpenter. Uh, and here he is now proclaiming that he is the king of the coming kingdom, the son of God, and they are offended. They say, Why are you saying these things? We know who you are. We know you're not big and famous, so to speak. right? You came from here. Uh, You must be either a con man or really good at repeating a message because this is not who you are. We've seen you grow up. Carpenters don't become kings is their response here. And so it's really a reminder to us that just because you're close to someone close to Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to fully understand him or understand his message or understand his mission. They were about as close as you could get. Even his family, we read elsewhere that his family didn't believe in him until later in their lives. And so that proximity, that closeness was not what helped them understand. And sometimes we we can fall into the same trap as well. We can think that... We're so close to Jesus, we, we know what Christianity is about, we know what it means to follow him, and yet our hearts can still be far from him as well. You know, sometimes this is, uh, sometimes we'll, people will say we have a confirmation bias or a circular reasoning when we say we believe in Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you don't believe... Therefore, I'm not going to show you more. I'm not going to help you understand more. And so, in our in our culture, in our kind of western world, right, we're kind of scientifically minded, right? What makes something true or what proves it to us is the facts, the science, the the proof, right? You show us the proof, it's more believable, it's more understandable. But Jesus is here, he's teaching us something else as well that The logic in the Bible is not just that God gives us proof of him and that he's the son of God, but also that believing is a prerequisite to understanding more and more about God. If you don't believe, you're not really going to understand the depths of Jesus. You're not going to understand everything the Bible is saying and how it fits together. Jesus is saying that it takes this belief in order to understand him. It's not a confirmation bias. It's not a logical fallacy. But the more we believe, the more he, uh, we understand him, the more he reveals himself to us. So we see that here in this passage, that understanding comes from belief, from faith in Jesus. And really we can understand that from, from everyday life as well. When we have a passion for something, Right? It makes us want to learn more about it. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person who goes through cycles. You get really into one thing at one time of your life, and you can, you can tell me everything there is to know about a 1967 car. right? Or you can tell me everything there is to know about this baseball team in this era of time. right? The more we have a passion for something, the more we uh, believe in something, so to speak, the more we dig into it, the more we want to understand, the more we want to know. And that's what Jesus really is teaching here. As these people have rejected him, they've done the opposite of that. They don't believe in him. They don't have a passion for him. They're not going to learn anymore and follow after him. And so this this logic of the Bible that belief is necessary for understanding is is something we have to think about. It's something we have to think about a little bit more really this morning because in the Bible you're going to find this logic. If you read through the New Testament, we're at the beginning of a new year. I'd encourage you to think about how can you read the Bible this year consistently? If you read a chapter a day in the New Testament, you'll get done in roughly September or October. If you read just Monday through Friday uh, every week, you will finish the entire New Testament one chapter a day, Monday through Friday. Uh, and so I would encourage you, hey, make it a goal to read more of the Bible. But as you read through the Bible, as you read the New Testament, right, you'll see this pattern. Usually the, the, the letters, the epistles, they start out with teaching. They start out with doctrine, right? Ephesians is a good example. The first three chapters is all about who is Jesus, what is the truth, what is, what is God done for us. And then the second half of the chap of the book first chapters 4 through six it builds on that versus beliefs and then what am I supposed to do now that I believe these things right in other words the beliefs lead to actions they lead to these good works they lead to following God and so we see that time and again throughout the Bible that belief leads to action, it leads to understanding, it leads to greater devotion to God. And so this is the logic of the Bible that shows up time and again. I think it shows up here as well. But to put it into like a practical everyday situation, what happens when life happens, right? When things happen that are out of our control, we uh, get a terminal diagnosis or really we just have something happen that's going to change our quality of life, right? We're not going to be able to get around as much or do the things we used to. Well, what do we do in that situation? Usually that can lead to worry or anxiety or just questions, right? But for a Christian, when we remember the truth, the doctrine, we believe what God has said. We believe that Jesus died and rose again then we understand that even if we were to die or lose out on some of the rest of our life, die, so to speak, in before the final death, then that's not the end. That's not all there is to life. There is life on the other side. There is a future hope. And so we don't have to be completely devastated whenever we get that kind of news. We don't have to be worrisome about it. And as those worries come, because those thoughts, it's not, you know, it's never just a one-time thing. Like, oh, this worry comes and then I kind of deal with it and then I'm good for the rest of my life. No, it it tends to come back, right? It tends to, to revisit us, right? Revisit our minds. And so we can continue to remind ourselves of those beliefs, those truths that if we know God, that he holds us in his hand that he will not leave us. He will continue to work in us and to carry us until the end. And so as those things happen, those beliefs in us, they affect our lives. They affect what's going on inside of us. They affect what we do on the outside, right? And so our beliefs lead to faithfulness. They lead to deeper understanding and deeper intimacy with God. And so this is really the pattern of the Bible, that belief changes who we are. It changes who we are. It changes what we understand. It changes what we do. And here, the people in Nazareth, they didn't believe. They didn't believe Jesus. In the end, they simply weren't believing. They were finding reasons not to, even though that was the evidence in front of them. So that's their reaction. When Jesus is presented to us, what are we going to do? Are we going to believe what he says? To remember his truth and believe it and hold on to it? Or are we going to forget it and find reasons to just move on and do what we want in our lives? That's their reaction. We see a second reaction here in the text. And if you read with me at the beginning of chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, this is Herod's reaction. We see this. The word of the Lord says, At that time... Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on the platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother, And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And so Herod, at the beginning we see he hears about the fame of Jesus. And he responds, really the only response we get is that, oh, this this person is doing the same things John the Baptist did. I killed John the Baptist. This must be him reincarnate, resurrected, so to speak. Jesus is John the Baptist. He's doing the same things he did. That's Herod's reaction, right? But Matthew fills us in with some of the backstory and details really what had happened. And really, we always have to ask, why is this here in the Bible? God has every word in the Bible for a reason. He says that it's all profitable for us to teach us, to grow us in godliness so that we would be complete. And so we think, why would it be that Matthew would be including these facts about Herod? And really, it helps us to understand this truth as we read this passage, that how Herod treats John is really how he's reacting to Jesus as well. Remember, he thinks they're basically the same person. So his reaction to John is basically his reaction to Jesus. And we see that later in the book, just like he put John the Baptist to death he he supports the death of Jesus later in his transferring Jesus back and forth with Pilate and so here we see that how we treat the followers of Jesus is really how we treat Jesus as well our reaction to the people of God is in line with our reaction to God we we remember the road to Damascus right Jesus appeared to Saul, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Up to this point, we don't know, but Saul never had interactions with Jesus, as far as we can tell. But Saul definitely had interactions with Christians, right? He was going around, he had persecuted them, thrown them into jail, approved of killing them. But Jesus, when he shows up to Saul, he doesn't reprimand him for that he reprimand, reprimands Saul for persecuting me, persecuting Jesus, right? As much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so we see this truth that if someone is treating someone else poorly, right, we don't look at them and think, oh, they're a great Christian person, right? We know that's not the reaction that the people of God should have. That's not the reaction that. Herod has, we, when we see the people of God, we should react as if we are reacting to Jesus. And so, whether that's the, the waiter at the restaurant, the former, the fellow employee at uh, work or a teacher at school, whatever situation we're in, we should be the people who are reacting the way we would react to Jesus in those situations. But that's not how Herod reacted. He reacted by rejecting the truth, right? So John was a prophet. He had told him the truth. Herod, you should not have your brother's wife. You shouldn't have stolen her from him. And it's not godly. It's not right for you to have her. That was the truth that John had spoken. He wasn't afraid that Herod was the king and could put him to death and put him in jail. He had spoken that truth. He was bold in following God. And Herod reacted uh, mainly by the influence of his wife. We see here in the story that Herodias wasn't really happy that John was spreading all this news about them, right? Talking, spreading their story, what was going on, right? She didn't want the dirty laundry aired, so to speak. And so Herod had him thrown in jail. Well, that wasn't really enough for her. Uh, She still wanted him dead. And so when the opportunity arose, she snatched it and John was put to death. uh, Herod, we read that he was sorry when he heard this. He was probably sorry that he let his emotions get the best of him, sorry that he had put himself in this compromising situation where it was really a no-win for him, in his eyes at least, right? But he was sorry that he had come to this point where he had to put John to death, but he did it anyways. He didn't want to look foolish to the people around him. He didn't want to uh, displease his wife, and so he pleased them rather than doing what was right, rather than following God. This was Herod's reaction. He was more influenced by people than by what God said, by how God was leading him. That was really what we read this morning in our passage from 1 Samuel 15. We saw the same thing with Saul, right? He was trying to please the people, please himself, instead of pleasing God and following him, obeying him. And so we see the same thing with Herod. It's really. Uh, The same thing that's been going on since the beginning. You remember, just like Herod listened to his wife and sinned, we remember from the beginning in Genesis 3 that Adam, God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. We've seen this story time and time again where people are, are more willing to please other people around them than to please God and obey him and follow what he says. Now, as a husband, right, we want to make our wife happy. Uh, I don't think that happy wife, happy life is a good saying. I don't think that's biblical. You can just think about it and figure that out. But it is most certainly true that it is a biblical thing to honor our wives, to treat them with love and respect and want to see her good. Want to see her desires fulfilled and uh, treat her as best you can, right? That's what it means. Jesus even modeled that as he died for the church. He teaches husbands to sacrifice what you want for what your wife wants. If you want a boat, but your wife wants to redecorate, then you should sacrifice what you want in order to Do what's good for your wife. That's kind of the example. Uh, Hopefully that's not too specific of an example. But uh, if that happened to you, you can let me know. Um, But that's the example, right? But even remembering that, we must never seek to please anyone, whether it's our spouse, our children, our family, someone who's a friend close to us, we must never seek to make them happy when it means we will be displeasing God. It will, it will make them unhappy. There will be times when following God will not please everyone, right? Because it will mean you spend your time going to church or reading the Bible or uh, saying the truth instead of uh, appeasing someone's uh, hurt feelings or conscience, right? But following God, pleasing God is more important because at the end of the day, not just at the end of the day, but at the end of your life, would you rather it be said of you that you pleased God or you pleased people, right? When you stand before God, it would probably be better that he would say, you have pleased me. Well done, good and faithful servant." And so we must never, when it comes to a choice, when we have to choose between pleasing God or pleasing others, we must respond with pleasing God. This is not what Herod did. His compromise at the beginning of rejecting the truth that John spoke just led him downward and downward into this spiral So eventually he was really stuck and couldn't make a good decision and couldn't get out of it. And so it's a reminder to us that we must not... Walk down those small compromises of not pleasing God. But we must stop that right now. Don't reject the conscience. Don't reject what we know to be true, but to follow after, even in the little things, because that will lead to greater compromises down the road. That was the example of Herod in this passage. We see the example, really, of Herod here. We see the example of Nazareth. That when they saw Jesus, they saw who he was. They heard his truth that he proclaimed himself to be the son of God, to be the king. They didn't believe him. Herod rejected that truth because he didn't want to change his life. But this must not be our response. We must respond with belief and obedience. That's what this passage is saying. As we respond to Jesus, respond with belief, respond with obedience. So we always, as always, want to be people who don't just hear the word, but are doers of it. So as we move into a time of response this morning, uh, I'd encourage you to think, how can I believe more? How can I obey more? Are there areas in my life where I've been compromising, Are there ways I can be more faithful in following God? Maybe it's not something specific, but uh, as we think of the new year, how can I do what I know will please God more this year, right? And So as we have this time of response, let's use it to respond to the Lord as we need to this morning, as we've heard his word. Uh, If you need to respond by saying, I need to follow Jesus and believe in him, give my life to him as Savior and Lord, then I'll be here uh, down at the front. You can come talk to me during this time and start that conversation. Or if you'd like to talk more about what it means to be a part of this church, a member, and uh, what it means to follow the Lord together, I'll be here to talk about that during this time as well, or I'll be at the back afterwards. But let's respond to the Lord this morning. Would you stand with us as we respond?